This is a Tadad podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tadad podcast. My name is Maria Cecilia Nebot, or Ceci for short, from the Fiscal Affairs Department of the International Monetary Fund. Today's special podcast episode is a farewell conversation with Michael Keane during his last week before retiring as Deputy Director of FAD and Line Manager of the Tadat Secretariat. Mick, as we affectionately call him, supervised the Tadat Secretariat work, and we want to share with you, our audience, some of his insights and wisdom from his career in taxation of over 26 years. Take a listen. Hello, Mick. Welcome Hi, to Sadat Podcast once again. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Everything okay. Thank you. Great. So, well, let's start. Tell us um, about your passion for taxes. When did it start? Um, well, I'm not sure I'd call it a, a passion. Um, uh, I don't like paying taxes any more than anybody else, but I guess I got... Um, began to get fascinated with taxes in my first job, really, after university, which was at a place called the Institute for Fiscal Studies in London, which was then a very small place, only about five or six people. It's now it's huge. Uh, but it had a very charismatic director who'd been my supervisor, a gentleman called John Kay, who now people may know writes for the Financial Times. And I think what I learned at um, uh, working for John at the Institute for Fiscal Studies was Tax is a kind of great combination of two things that, that I very much enjoy. One is just the intellectual challenges of uh, understanding taxes, not just how they work kind of in terms of the mechanics, but how they may affect behavior, how they might affect um, investment, saving, whatever it is, what their impact would be. So they're intellectually challenging, um, fascinating for an economist, but at the same time, they affect people very deeply they have a big impact on how our societies operate, um, on people's well-being. So bringing together the kind of intellectual challenges and the prospect of actually being useful uh, in a wider sense, I found a pretty irresistible challenge. And it, uh, it kind of began there. Then I was an academic for a while before joining the IMF, which, of course, is the kind of the greatest place in the world to work on these issues, um, both on the um, understanding taxes, learning from others, uh, but also really trying to put that knowledge to uh, to the best use to help all our members. So that's kind of the, the, it's the mix of the two things that I think I've really found attractive. Oh, great. And what would you say has been a key professional challenge that you have faced? I think um, <clears throat> maybe two. I think one is, one is, I think, that we all face, which is really trying to find time to, to think, because we're also driven by immediate um crises and panics and things to respond to um, in the tax world as much as any other, that it can be very hard to actually find time to sit down and think through, well, you know, what is this, what is this tax really going to do? What is it, you know, is it, are the, are the effects of this tax really as obvious as I, as I initially thought, or as people seem to assume? Have I really thought through how this tax may have effects across borders? Um, it's very hard to find time to think about those things when you're driven by the daily pressures of having to come up with some tax policy advice by five o'clock this afternoon. So I think for all of us, I think we face that challenge of stepping back from 
the day-to-day -day, uh, rush of events. The other one maybe is more specific in a way to tax, and that is, I think, um, as a profession, people like me, tax economists, haven't always done a great job of explaining ourselves to the rest of the world. I think, um, and I'm not talking here about people who work on taxation, but to people who are affected by tax policy and tax administration. I think we're not very good, historically, we haven't been very good at explaining why particular tax measures have some attractions, why we think, for example, a broad-based VAT is, is uh, many of us think that's a good idea. Our ideas about um, who will actually really bear the burden of the tax, the idea that just because a tax is labeled in a particular way, maybe it's called, say, luxury tax, people tend to assume, yeah, well, if it's called a luxury tax, it's going to be the rich that pay it. But as economists, we'd always doubt that. We'd say, well, maybe the tax is really going to be borne by the people who make the products for the rich people. So I think one of the continuing challenges, and I wouldn't say I or anyone else has really overcome it, is just this um, trying to um, you know, encourage or help people to think through a bit more deeply about taxation than, than I think is often the case. If you look in most newspapers, um, when they cover taxes, I think we'd be pretty disappointed as tax people uh, in terms of the depth of, of uh, understanding they assume on people, uh, mm -hmm. on people's behalf. Yeah. And in what areas do you see more progress in fiscal reforms efforts? Well, I guess over the years, there are certainly areas <clears throat> where um, one can see a lot of change, I think, in a generally good direction. So when I first came to the IMF in the, in the late 90s, um, we were still in the throes of spreading the value-added tax around the world. Um, now, I think, although there are still some important countries adopting VAT, we're into the next stage of um, making those VATs work better uh, as uh, as we want them to work. Um, so in areas like that, maybe the, the slow decline of reliance on customs revenue, um, strengthening of domestic tax systems, tax administration, I think one can see progress there. Um, notable too, I think that in some areas there's very little progress. And the obvious one that stands out, I think, is the area of tax incentives where I'm always struck that one of the very first working papers that the Fiscal Affairs Department here at the IMF came out with in about 1967 was about um, the dangers of tax incentives for low-income countries. So the fund has been fighting, uh, making the case against special tax incentives for about 60 years, um, and it's still a continuing battle. So some areas, not much progress, but... Um, I think, Ceci, you catch me at an optimistic moment. Um, so we're having a conversation kind of mid-April, and I think there have been a, some developments really in the last um, couple of weeks, um, building on some of the last couple of years in the area of international taxation that I think have been really quite, um, quite fundamental and, and encouraging. So we've seen changes in essentially challenges to the established norms of international taxation. I think we've had um, OECD, G20, stepping back from the idea of arm's length pricing as a way to tax multinationals. We may be heading towards agreement on the minimum effective rates of corporate tax, towards kind of the use of formulas in calculating corporate tax liability, the use of sales perhaps as a, as a, as a, as a basis for taxation. So I think those are all actually really quite fundamental changes. Um, that I think I'd never have dreamt um, when I came to the fund, I'd see those changes even by uh, even by now. So um, so that's an area where I think I would be would be optimistic. Um, but in general, I think we, we can see a clear 
trend towards improvement. It's a slow business, I think, changing tax systems, but um, but I think we can see things moving in a good direction pretty much around the world, I'd say. Okay. Since, since you have been now um, incapacitated development work on tax for 25 years or so, what mm. are the main changes you have seen? Well, I suppose apart from the kind of... Um, things I was just talking about in terms of the spread of the VAT developments in international tax. Um, and of course, the last year or so, we've been struggling with uh, <clears throat> new ways of developing capacity development um, um, uh, virtually rather than face-to-face. -face. Um, but I suppose the biggest change I perceive is really in um, the increased sophistication with which many countries now address, think about, um, and analyze tax issues. I think when I first came to the fund, if I look back at the kind of um, technical assistance reports we were doing then, they were quite generic. Um, they would talk about fairness, efficiency, administrability at a pretty general, pretty general level. Um, now I think the advice that countries want is much more granular, much more detailed, Um, and really much more sophisticated. And I think this, this of course, is, is great for everybody. Um, and I think it's um, increasingly, I, I find that where the people like me at the fund can be helpful <clears throat> is often now just having a, 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 someone to talk to for many people in tax policy administration, are very capable, extremely capable people. But sometimes they like to have somebody to talk to who doesn't really, who's not representing a special interest who's not looking for business of any kind and uh, is professionally um, pretty good. So I find that kind of engagement uh, increasingly common, I think is, is a very healthy sign of the way things are going. Um, and it reflects, I think, that in many countries, the, 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 the skills of tax policy analysis have, have increased very markedly over the last 25 years or so. I do think there's more there's more to do in many countries. And I think that's a big task for my successors in the fiscal affairs department and elsewhere is to build up this um, capacity for, for tax policy analysis. So that soon I would hope that many of the things that um, people often expect IMF missions to do, for example, looking at distributional impacts of reforms, how they affect uh, different income groups, so on, those should be things that really countries are doing for themselves. And I think that more and more we'll see that happening as countries use their own expertise, uh, use us as a trusted advisor, um, and uh, um, in that way, generally move, as I say, towards more sophisticated granular exchanges. And after the COVID-19 pandemic has diminished and the world returns to more, uh, let's say, normal times, what do you see as the next fiscal challenges for policy managers and tax administrators? Well, I think um, uh, they're going to have even more to do than they had to, to do before <laughs> the pandemic. Um, I think that we know many countries are going to be looking for um, additional revenue. There was already a big revenue challenge before the pandemic, as you know, in terms of, for example, achieving the sustainable development goals, where for many low-income countries, we were already had a gap of about 15 points of GDP to, to fill by one means or another, largely presumably through mobilizing domestic resources. All those challenges, I think, have now been amplified. Um, so the question then is, where are the additional revenue going to come from? Um, and there are, you know, there are, there are some new sources one can think about. One can talk about carbon pricing. 
um, even for countries that aren't necessarily large emitters. So don't contribute that much to global climate change. Um, carbon pricing can be a good way of capturing uh, local pollution, dealing with local issues. Um, there's, uh, as you know, the fiscal monitor talked about scope for potential um, COVID recovery contributions, maybe um, uh, as uh, piggybacking on existing tax systems. So I, I think broadly, um, the, the essential challenges are going to be much as they were. And a lot of those challenges are things that are not particularly spectacular, but super important. Things like making the value added tax work effectively, making sure that the refund systems are, are, are working smoothly, um, thinking about um, the, the um, building proper compliance risk management systems within tax administrations, strengthening customs at the same time, try to move away from customs. So all these kind of old, not very spectacular things that don't really get much coverage, certainly don't get as much attention, say, as international tax reform, but are actually rather more important in terms of, of raising revenue are going to be center stage again. Of course, there will be new things. I think we all think about technology, the scope for technology in this context. And I think clearly the um, taking forward the digitalization agenda in many countries is going to be um, center stage. And certainly I think it's going to have been accelerated by the experience of the pandemic. Maybe more fundamentally, I think, when we talk about digital, um, is what this might mean for policy which is something we, I think, hasn't really attracted that much attention. When we think about digitalization, we often think of it as being being a better way of doing the kind of things we do already, um, but not really changing what we do, just doing it better. I think there's an open question about, well, we should ultimately, I think, think about digitalization as allowing us to do maybe things we wouldn't think of doing quite right now. So we might think, for example, of um, for more effective integration in more countries of the tax and the spending system, which I think in general is going to be something uh, on the agenda of, of um, tax administration officials in the, in the coming years, the integration of the tax side and the spending side. We can think about things like, well, um, maybe we don't need ultimately, uh, maybe we can think about taxing people not so much on an annual basis, but take account of their whole lifetime of experiences. The idea of a tax return, I guess, will probably um, die out. Uh, we'll all be um, increasingly using pre-populated uh, returns online. But I think the digital, I think, as I say, the challenges, I think, are more to think about the policy. Even when you think about the VAT, to the extent that, you know, the VAT is there, the attraction of the VAT is to essentially deal with the possibility that um, some chains of production may get broken, may dis some chain, some parts of the chain may disappear from the tax system. So we want to kind of keep the um, protect the uh, revenue against these breaks in the chain. Well, if technology allows us to monitor those chains more effectively, maybe we don't need the VAT so much. Maybe we can go back to something like a retail sales tax. But those, all those things are some way off. But um, I think, Ceci, if we look far enough ahead, I think those are the, those are the big challenges to actually think, um, what can we start to think about doing uh, in the future that we can't actually do now? Interesting. And now that we are talking about the, this future fiscal agenda, what role do you see yourselves playing in that agenda? Um, well, good question. I'm not quite sure yet. I, I certainly want to carry on being involved in uh, capacity development work. Um, and again, I, I think 
as I say, that kind of brings together the, the two professional loves I have of the the intellectual side of things and the the practical side of practical side of things. So I hope to get involved in that. I hope to have a bit more time to um, to maybe step back and think and write a little bit more. Um, both kind of academic things and things for for a kind of more general audience. And um, you know, I'm even uh, starting to experiment a bit with social media and Twitter and things like this. So that's a kind of a whole new world for me that I'm learning about. But um, uh, yeah, so we'll see how we'll see how all that goes. Um, I'm at Mick underscore Keen if anyone's interested. Perfect. But, um, That's great. We can we can share it with the audience yeah. too then. So, but yeah, so <laughs> but you have to forgive me. I'm really not quite sure how it works yet. So we'll see. We'll see about <laughs> that. But um, but no, I hope to keep going in some form or another. Great. Well, let let's look back at at your career. What are the proudest accomplishments in working on tax at the IMF? Well, that's a very hard question. I think I have to say, and not just because this is a TADAT podcast, I think when I, I think TADAT, and I don't have all take all that much credit for TADAT, I was just a kind of bystander who happened to be involved when other people were developing it. But I do think TADAT is really quite something anybody could be proud of, I think, in terms of um, the kind of um, the discipline and the insight it's bringing to the process of reforming um, tax administrations is quite remarkable. I think the buy-in from countries, clearly it's something countries find extraordinarily useful, very well established, very well respected, very well run. Um, so I think as if one thing had to stand out, and as I say, I would don't claim the credit for it, but I think TADAD is something that if, um, if anyone lets me, I'd be happy to take some pride in. Um, but I think the other thing, which is not, I suppose, um, pride as such, but I think what I have particularly valued in my career is really just the um, the people that, that I've met and worked with. And, um, you know, not only at the fund, where there's just like a, just an absolutely incredible um, abundance of talent and experience on um, on everything to do with taxation. Um, you know, you have any question about tax anywhere around the world and you can find the answer in about uh, <clears throat> 10 minutes. But also, <clears throat> possibly even more with the, with the country officials um, one gets to work with who, who are really doing very difficult jobs in often very difficult circumstances, um, not really getting much thanks <laughs> for doing it, <laughs> not really gets thanked very much for collecting taxes. Sometimes in even dangerous circumstances. So I think I'm I'm full of um, pride and and uh, admiration, I, I guess, for 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 the people that I that I've interacted with around the world who've um, who are kind enough to let um, me and people like me um, work with them on the on the problems that they tax problems they face. Well, let let me let me say on behalf of that secretariat. But thank you very much for your constant support oh, to the team. Thank <laughs> you. My pleasure. Um, if you could go back in time, what is one piece of advice you gave to tax policy and administration officials that um, you would like you would change? Um, well, there's not. <clears throat> There's not much, really. Maybe that's a bad sign. Maybe I should have um, been thinking and changed my mind rather more than, than I have. I suppose the one maybe relatively small thing that comes to mind is I do remember advising a country that had a specially high tax rate on banks 
relative to other other sectors that this was not a great idea. Um, I think I'm now a little bit more open to some, and I, sh I should qualify this very heavily, to some limited rate differentiation. I don't think it's first best, um, but I think I'm a little bit more open to that. And, and I can't speak for my colleagues either, but I think I'm be a little, you know, when I look back at that, I would say, well, maybe that wasn't quite the right advice in the, in the circumstances of that particular country at that time. Um, but I think it's, you know, I think po probably that's also to do with, um, you know, you asked me earlier what some of the challenges were. I think another one is 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 coming to terms with the fact that tax policy is not going to be perfect, particularly when you come to things maybe from an academic dimension. Um, you you find it unpleasant when there are various things that are inelegant in tax systems. But I think one has to come to terms and accept realities that even if these aren't the things that um, that one would ideally like. Um, they may nevertheless be um, better than the alternatives. Um, so nothing, I think nothing very major, but I think, I guess over the years, um, perhaps one comes to terms a little bit more with, um, with, offering, uh, with offering advice that one knows is not necessarily what, uh, what the textbooks, or at least the textbook that you would write, what that textbook uh, says. Okay, and you talked before about publication like to the people and not only for experts. I know you have a book on taxes uh -huh. appearing now that is a bit unusual. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah, well, with great pleasure. So, yeah, so this is a book that um, is just coming out um, and I'll give you the title. I'll say it slowly. It's called Rebellion, Rascals and Revenue, subtitled Tax Follies and Wisdom Through the Ages. And it's a, it's not an IMF book. It's a book uh, written with an academic colleague, which tries to tell a whole range of kind of um, bizarre and fascinating stories about taxation over the last several thousands of years, um, both to try and be entertaining, but also to try along the way to kind of convey some of the basic ideas of taxation. So it's the sort of thing we hope will be interesting and fun for people who who know about taxes and are interested in taxes, but it's also intended um, for people who don't really know much about taxes, but may have some interest in history and may want to learn a little bit more about, um, you know, about uh, the, the basic principles of taxation. So, you know, to give a couple of examples, so we tell the story about, um, uh, for example, the, the window tax in, um, in, in England. We used to have a tax on windows as many of you will know, and you often see how picture photos of old houses in England where you can see that the windows have been bricked up, uh, essentially to avoid the tax. And this sounds a kind of very quaint, um, very quaint tax, a little bit bizarre that people would actually tax windows. But it was actually quite clever. And why was it clever? Well, because before the tax on windows, the English had a tax on fireplaces. So as an indicator of how well off you are. If you had more fireplaces in your house, clearly you were better off. But the trouble was that for that, you, somebody had to come into your house and count your fireplaces, which people really didn't like. And they, you know, there are a few tax inspectors got stoned to death for trying to do this. So what, what was the answer to this problem? How you observe wealth without going into somebody's house? Well, you observe the windows. It's kind of brilliant. You stand outside wow. and you count the windows. 
So this sounds, so this illustrates the fact that, you know, we often think that we're smarter than the people who came before us think about taxes or anything else, but that's clearly not the case. And the other nice thing about the window story is that um, these um, bricked up windows illustrate the idea that economists call excess burden, which is the fact that people suffer a loss from taxation over and above the amount of tax they paid. And the point there is that you see, you know, there's a guy in this in this uh, in this house who's paying some tax on the windows he hasn't bricked up, he or she hasn't bricked up, but they're not enjoying the light through the window that they have bricked up, which has saved them some tax. So it illustrates this idea, which economists otherwise illustrate with complicated pictures of supply and demand curves, um, about this additional burden of taxation, which economists think a lot about and worry about, but illustrate the point I was making earlier, don't don't really convey that very well to people. You know, what on earth are economists talking about when they talk about this fancy excess burden thing? Well, we're talking about these bricked up windows, basically. So, and so that's, okay, I could go on forever. There's a whole bunch of, um, of other stories in there. So there's a story, if you'll allow me one more, which doesn't, doesn't teach anything profound about taxes, but is kind of interesting. So there was a bridge that was built in Curacao, in the late 19th century, I think. And um, essentially the, the government decided that we only want the better off people to pay to use the bridge. So you only had to pay the bridge to, to cross the bridge. There's only a toll. You only had to pay the toll if you were wearing shoes, because if you had shoes, you were better off. So the idea was, okay, well, we're pursuing our fairness objectives. So this is how we'll do it. But what happened? Well, what happened, of course, is that the poor people, many of the poor people, um, didn't like to flaunt their poverty by uh, walking across barefoot. So they would borrow their friends' shoes to walk across the bridge and pay the toll. And of course, all the rich people decided to take their shoes off when they crossed their bridge, when they crossed the bridge. So (laughs) no great lesson there other than how tax policy measures of various kinds can backfire. They have these unintended consequences. So Anyway, so I could go wow, on forever. There's a lot of, I should say, a lot of stories about tax administration too, um, including one. I'll give so one more. And um, so there's no, a lot of talk now about um, blockchain, for example. Well, if you go to the Beijing Tax Museum, and there are tax museums in the world, there's something called, I probably don't pronounce it correctly, a G. And there's a picture of it in the book. And this uh, is a beautiful bronze device. It's in two parts which has bronze and gold lettering, beautiful kanji, and so on and so forth. And how this worked was that it's in two parts. And this was to implement a tax exemption around about 300 BC, BCE. And how it worked was one, one half of this um, G was carried on the ship, carrying the goods, and the other part was at the customs. And the only way you could get the exemption was by presenting these two bits so that they actually matched together and you hadn't falsified your claim to an exemption. And even more wonderful that you can tell that these Gs are actually in the shape of bamboo, like bamboo tree or bamboo shaft. Yes. Mm -hmm. So clearly this was something that was going on from ages before, that to implement the tax exemption, they would split the bamboo, give one part of the bamboo to the person who was enjoying the exemption, the other one to the tax inspector, and you only got the exemption when your goods were passing down the river if these two parts of the bamboo shoot uh, uh, fitted together. 
So this is like 2000 years ago and pretty much like blockchain as far as I can see. But anyway, so I'll stop there. Sounds great. I, I now want to read your book, Mick. Good. <laughs> That's the idea. Good. <laughs> can, can you please repeat for all of us the title of your book? Oh, yes. Happy to. So it's called Rebellion, Rascals and Revenue. And subtitle is Tax Follies and Wisdom Through the Ages. And uh, my co-author is Joel Slimrod. Great. I sadly have to say that you are retiring mm -hmm. from the fund. So are there any parting words of wisdom that you would like to share with us? Um, well, I think I've picked up more wisdom than I have now to share. But I suppose um, maybe one is uh, perhaps, well, one of clearly is just the importance of this work. I think the importance of the of the work that people do in, in taxation is um, supremely important and, and undervalued um, by all our friends and society. I suppose the other general thought that I think is often forgotten is that real tax reform takes a long time. You know, we often think of um, the fund, we often think of five years as a long time, but that's not really very long when you think about building effective tax systems. You know, you look at the, um, you look at the advanced economies of the world and, you know, they took, you know, 150, 200 years to build, uh, to build effective tax systems. So I don't want to be too depressing, but I think sometimes um, it's good for us all to, to not you know, to, to, to realize that, you know, lasting tax reform may, maybe doesn't necessarily have to take centuries, but it's not something we can say, you know, is, is, a, is a short run or even medium run uh, enterprise. It's really a, a long term investment. That would be it, I think. Well, Mick, as I said you before, and I know I can say this on behalf of Tadat team, thank you very much for your constant support and you will be missed <laughs> and well stay well and of course enjoy the next chapter of your life thank you very much that's very kind i fully intend to thanks a lot great thank See you bye bye the tarot podcast is available free of charge The views expressed in the TEDAT podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent those of the International Monetary Fund or the IMF policy. Materials from the podcast may be reproduced with proper attribution. Comments and correspondence may be emailed to podcast at tedat.org. TEDAT is a collaborative undertaking of the following partners, France, Germany, the International Monetary Fund, Japan, the Netherlands, Norway, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, and the World Bank.